Ezra chapter 4. We'll let the ensemble get down there with you. Uh, I just want to say by way of introduction to this message, it's not one that we typically would uh, preach in the sense of in a revival meeting, but this uh, particular message carries great significance with the college. Uh, Whenever I was a student at Ambassador, Brother Comfort, our founder, started preaching a message uh, on the foundations of Ambassador. And every year uh, he would preach that message and uh, he would reiterate some of the burdens of his heart as to why he started the school and things that we needed to continue to embrace. And when I became the president, I thought, well, I can't steal his message, uh, but I can talk about what the school meant to me and how those foundations were laid in my heart and articulate a burden to continue it. Uh, There are schools, as I'll mention in the conclusion, specifically in this message, there are schools that are no longer in existence today because they forsook their foundations. And so I think this message, while it's more of a philosophical sort, it will not be uh, like a revival meeting type sort message. I want you to pay careful attention. And for you freshmen especially, I want you to to make some, some notes. And for all of you for that matter, but freshmen, this will be the first time that you hear it. For some of you upperclassmen, if you roll your eyes and you say, I've heard that before, I'll pinch you after chapel, all right? Because you need to hear this as well. Every faculty member, every staff member uh, needs to hear this message because everybody in this school has a part in keeping this school straight. Uh, It's not just on my shoulders, but it's on all of our shoulders. And so I want to give you some things today. A message that I've entitled, Building the Walls of Ambassador. And I draw it from from Ezra chapter 4 and verse number 12. Just to give you a little bit of context, the enemies of Israel have come to the king and they're ratting out Israel, so to speak. That's a term that dorm students can relate to, ratting out. And there's some of you people that say, well, you know, there's no glory in ratting out people. Well, this is what's happening is they're coming to the king and they're trying to make it. They're they're saying, king, Israel is rebelling against you. And I just want you to see an excerpt of that evil report And I want to draw something from it so I can make my application. Ezra 4 and verse number 12, they said, Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee unto us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city, that's Jerusalem, and have set the walls thereof and joined the foundations. All right, I want you to pay careful attention to foundations and walls. They're talking about this rebuilding process And they said they're joining those foundations together and they're building these walls. All right, if just for the sake of application, I would say from 1986 until 2009, Ron Comfort was laying a foundation. You say it took a long while. It did. And now as I became the president, I liken it to building the walls upon those foundations. And when you look in the Bible, you find that walls have several, several aspects of significance. Walls were, number one, built for defense. In other words, it was to keep intruders from coming in and ravaging the city. Why do I think it's important to build walls here at Ambassador? I think it's important because it defends us from compromise entering in and even the enemy himself. Uh, you know, there are times that the devil destroys uh, something, just direct attack, and then there's other times it's by their own compromise. Uh, it's of their own flesh that they destroy themselves. 
And so walls are built for defense. They're also built uh, for the idea of protection. You know, with defense, you're on top of a wall, you're actually attacking out. Protection is just, it's just something else you've got to run through in order to get to it. And we need every obstacle posted. Every time this message is preached, it ought to be an obstacle to compromise and change in the school. And then the third thing is identification. A lot of times you could look at a city from a distance and you could tell what city it is. Uh, when you're driving near Charlotte, North Carolina at night, you can look at the skyline and you can tell very quickly what city that is. Um, this uh, last August, I was at a baseball game uh, in the Charlotte area and behind it was the backdrop of the skyline. They built that stadium in a perfect spot, but... Uh, anybody who knows this area, you look at that and you see the lighted buildings, you're like, that's Charlotte. Well, when somebody is looking at a place from a distance, a city from a distance back in Ezra's day, they're like, that's Ai or that's Jericho or that's Jerusalem. They could identify. It didn't have a large neon lit sign. It didn't say welcome to, but they could identify it by the wall. And I never want somebody to look at ambassador and scratch their head and say, I wonder what that is. I want it to send a very clear sound. And so in preaching this message today, we're going to talk about the foundational principles of the school. And I want to try to give you some personal illustration of how this school touched my life and how I hope that it will touch yours. And my prayer is, this morning as I've wrestled with this, that I could go to seed on any one of these points that I'm going to give you. And I want to make sure that I go to seed on the right ones because... The Lord knows what, what areas we need emphasized in this chapel service today, all right? But let me tell you a little bit about how Ambassador came into existence, and this predates me as it was related to me, but it's very important. Uh, when Brother Comfort was traveling in evangelism, he had been in evangelism over 20 years, and God had burdened his heart about starting a Bible college specifically for training men and women for the ministry. And he did everything that he could to run away from it. He did everything. He tried to take people with him uh, in evangelism. You'd see in some pictures at that point in ministry, he had several evangelist majors or men that looked like they were going to go into evangelism. He would take them with him for extended internships, and he thought maybe that would, uh, that would alleviate uh, his burden. But even in doing that, it did not change. The burden only intensified to where he came to the conclusion, I have no other choice but to start Ambassador Baptist College. And, you know, this is what I'm talking to you is in 1980s dollars, okay? They're a lot different than 2022 dollars. So for about two years plus, Brother Comfort is traveling in churches. He's sharing his burden and over that period of time, he raises over $400,000 just to, just to get us to open our doors. Brother Comfort would tell you he had no idea what he was doing. He had never started a college. And the truth is, only a few people on this earth have ever started a college. And so he took out in a step financially where he not only raised the money, but he gave sacrificially of his own money whether it was selling his own truck and trailer or taking of his own income and pouring it into the starting of the school. And we opened our doors in 1989 in Shelby, North Carolina with probably 36, 37 students. Uh, the majority of those, I think, were young men. 
so you can imagine double dating had a whole new meaning in the first day of the first year of the college. If you had like 16 guys and eight or nine girls or whatever the case, you know. But it's okay to laugh. Some of you are very stiff when you mention the word dating. You just get paralyzed. And, uh, but I hate to tell some of you, one day you're going to do it and you're going to get married and it's just going to happen. So you just have to be prepared for it, all right? And so they started with just a handful of students. God assembled a faculty and I come up on the scene in 1992. Uh, I was, went to public school. Uh, 13 years of my life, kindergarten through 12th grade. God called me to preach during my senior year of high school. My pastor said, I've heard about this Bible college and let's go visit it. I visited it and no sooner than I visited it, I realized, you know what, I, this is where I need to go. And I, so I show up in the fall of 1992 as a freshman. My music was horrendous in my life. Uh, I had language habits and other things that needed to go that roommates helped correct me with. And uh, it was a real time of intensity. When I, when I came, there were several things that were like culture shock to me at Ambassador. Uh, I remember coming and, you know, the music that I listened to and uh, the things that I would watch, the things that I... I mean, there was so much of it that seemed like anathema. And I thought, man, what in the world is wrong with me? Or I thought at the time, what in the world is wrong with Ambassador? That's what I thought. But it took me a little while. And uh, as I was challenged to study the Scriptures, as I was exposed to a diet of things, as I heard preaching four times a week in chapel, a strange thing started happening. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? And the more of the Bible I got, I found the less of the world I wanted. And that transformation took place in my life, but it was a very painful thing. I had to deal with homesickness. I had to deal with financial trouble. I had to deal with a parent who my mom was the only one living who was in poor health. And I was having to go back and forth. And God was stretching me and God was pulling me. And in the midst of all that, God used a place called Ambassador Baptist College to shape my life. And these foundations that I share with you today are more important today than they were in 1989. All right, so let me run over these for you and just give you some things and also share some personal experience, all right? And you say, how did you learn these things? I'll tell you how I learned them. Number one, I learned them by firsthand observation. I experienced it. Listen, I knew what it was like to be a broken down freshman and weeping in a cafeteria and a faculty member put his arm around me named Ernest Childs and pray with me. I experienced it firsthand but also spent many hours, what is now my office, but what used to be Brother Comfort's office, sitting down and talking with him, and not only asking him what, but asking him why. I know one of the biggest frustrations for some of you, you say, I hear a lot of what, but I don't hear a lot of why. Well, you stick around long enough, and I hope that you'll hear more and more of the why, and that you'll understand it. All right, so the first thing that I share with you is that Ambassador is a school with a single focus. That single focus is ministry. It's been from day one. Um, We live in a day and time where schools have expanded their offerings. Schools that were started as Bible colleges, they have expanded their offerings to now where they're teaching for bivocational, uh, you know, or just even for, for a liberal arts emphasis. 
Uh, in a few moments, I'm going to talk about our Bible college core. But listen, here at Ambassador, our focus has always been singular. It's been for the ministry. Now, I realize there are some of you, you're in the one-year Bible program, all right? And for some of you, you say, well, I feel like I'm a fish out of water because, you know, at this point, I'm not convinced that God's called me to preach or that God has called me to marry a preacher or whatever the case. Listen, if you're in that one-year program, it's not, it's not a bad thing, number one, to have the Bible given to you every day, but number two, to be exposed to the possibility of ministry. As a matter of fact, everywhere I go with young people, I try to expose them to the fact that God just may want you to serve Him in ministry. It's amazing to me. I can go and, you know, sometimes people say, you know, you ought not talk to uh, our children about being a preacher or a missionary. You shouldn't do that. You're forcing them to do that. And I want to say to them, and I don't because I try to be a reserved fellow, but I want to say, well, why don't you have a problem with that person from uh, this other Christian college talking to them about being a nurse? They're forcing them to be a nurse. No, it's not. It's just there's a hypersensitive... Listen, in in a world of 8 billion people, can I tell you, I think God's calling more, not fewer. And I'm not here to twist every one-year Bible major or three-year Bible major and say, you know what, you're missing the will of God if you're not in the ministry. But I'll say very dogmatically, every person in this room and every person listening to this, they ought to struggle with the possibility of serving God on a mission field or anywhere He pleases. And I say that without apology. So here at the school, we're a single focus. Brother Comfort was so grieved to see people that he saw called to ministry go off to Christian liberal arts schools and later on become accountants or whatever the occupation was and to never do what God called them originally to do. I'm glad God called me to ambassador because I needed as few distractions as possible. Uh, Just, you know, in those days, if you only knew just how primitive the school really was. Oh, you have so much, you know. I know some of you are like, you got that grumpy old man speech. You walked uphill in the snow both ways and blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to tell you, none of you would have come to Ambassador my freshman year based on what we had, you know. Uh, come and uh, these, uh, these metal cots that are rusty, sleep in those. They're wonderful. They're, they're, they're great. Take this house that's been remodeled. We can put 28 guys in this house with two bathrooms. Come and, and catch the spirit, you know. Those days were a little different. But back then we had a single focus. And you know what? I think it's a single focus that helped a lot of my friends in their training. And you know what? Here we are. We're 25 years down the road. We're serving the Lord. And I think part of it was because the distractions were in large part eliminated for us when we came to school. So ambassador number one is a school with a single focus. Number two is strong Bible curriculum. Let me tell you, there's a difference between a Christian college and a Bible college. And you've got to understand that. You understand, you can go to a Christian college and you can major in Bible and have 30 hours of Bible and be a Bible major. Everybody that comes to Ambassador in four years, you're going to have at least 60 hours of Bible. And there's a reason for that. You know, the more liberal arts oriented our ministry education has become through the years, the less Bible people have required. 
I would say hands down, you're going to get more Bible here than perhaps any other school in the country. Why do we do that? Because we believe there's no better book to prepare you with in the ministry than the Bible. You know, not every Christian college is a Bible college. All Bible colleges are Christian colleges, if they're truly Bible colleges. But not every Christian college is a Bible college. Now, let me say something. I'm not saying that we're better than anybody else. But here's what I'm saying. When it comes to training ministry, make the main thing the main thing. You know, when you set foot on this campus, it's very important to me that our teachers finish all of their material in the classroom because I feel like when you've come, we've made you a promise that we're going to take you from Genesis to Revelation, book by book in the classroom. And if we fail to take you through all of the material, we failed in that promise and I'm made a liar. I want you to be able to sit down and be taken through every section of the Bible and gain a familiarity with I was just talking with a student the other day. He'll know... Uh, who he is, but I'm not going to say anything to divulge his identity, although I've just now narrowed it down to 50% of the congregation here today. But he was making an honest admission about how he was unfamiliar with a certain part of the Bible. And he was like, this class, I'm telling you, it just really hit me hard. And I, you know, I, I got through it, but I just, you know, I, I, he was like me. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And as I listened to him as we were talking, I just sort of chuckled and I said, yeah, yeah, I know the feeling about 30 years ago. And there are some of you, you sit down in class and you're like, man alive, I don't really know this that well. Well, that's why you're here. And I'll guarantee you, there's some of you preacher kids here, you're starting to learn, you know what, I didn't know this as well as I thought. You came in, you're like, man, this is like Sunday school. And you're like, okay, I want to go back to Sunday school. You know, here at this college, when it comes to a strong Bible curriculum, now I want you to hear me and listen to me well. I need your help in this. I want classrooms that reinforce the Bible, not classrooms that tear it down. If you ever, if you ever hear a professor tear down the Bible, I want to know about it. Because that's even worse than saying something bad about my mother because it raises an accusation against God. When you leave this place, I want your confidence in the Bible to be greater. And I'm telling you, just because a place is a Christian institution does not mean by default that it's going to, it's going to cause you to have more confidence in the Bible. There have been many people who have walked away shaken. When it's all said and done, I want you to be able to stand in a pulpit or you ladies, when you do a women's Bible study, know that the book that you hold in your hand is powerful and that you can speak about it with confidence and you can teach it with accuracy and it'll do the work. You know, here at the college, in our textual position, our Bible position, we use the King James Version. You know, some people say, why do you want us to use the King James Version? Well, this is not a textual criticism uh, Display, but I, I want you to use a Bible with all the words in it to start with. You know, the modern versions, many of them exempt, and, and I'm not here to get into the big discussion on it. But here, let it be said, when you open your King James Bible in chapel and when you open it in the classroom, listen, you can have confidence this is the Word of God. Period. 
I also had the opportunity to take Greek and Hebrew. And when I sat under it with Frank Camp, and when I sat under it with Ken Sheets and James Curalo, when I left those classes in Greek, I wasn't thinking, boy, they messed this up. I left thinking, wow, those boys knew a lot more than I did. And it did help me in my study to break things down. And here's the interesting thing. Here in the, for those of you who have not taken general Bible introduction, you'll be baptized by fire next semester, all right? But, you know, here at the college, we base our textual position. We use the Texas Receptus in, in our Greek class. And, and there are many, most other schools today would be critical text. Uh, they would use the Greek text that would underlie the vast majority of modern versions. And this is something that's more distinctive about Ambassador today than I think it's ever been because there's really not much out there. But here's the interesting thing. You know who taught me the Textus Receptus position and brought me to a stronger belief about, about you know, when I, when I hold a King James Bible that I know that I can have confidence in it? I was taught by men in Greek class who originally started out in a critical text position, Brother Spencer. James Curalo was taught at Wheaton. Ken Sheets was taught at Tennessee Temple. Charles Surrett was taught at Central Seminary. And all of them were taught a critical text position and they jumped the fence and said, no, that's not right. So it wasn't like I was just taught by a bunch of people who were like, rah, 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 do this, do this, and they just said it very loudly. I was taught by thinkers who knew both sides of the story. And they chose to have a position a position that, that was one that demonstrated faith and confidence in God's Word. And I'm grateful for that. And I want you to experience the same exact thing. Another distinctive of the school is an experienced faculty. Having experienced faculty. I'll never forget years ago, I was in a church in Virginia. And I was talking to a young man who was at a Bible college. He was at a Bible college, not a Christian college, a Bible college. And I asked him this. I said, hey, I said, uh, what, what, what uh, major are you? He said, I'm a missions major. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, who's your teacher? He gave me the teacher's name. I, I never heard of him. And that's not say, just because I don't know somebody doesn't mean they're, they're not good. And I looked at him and I said, really? I said, where's he been a missionary to? And he looked at me without skipping a beat and he said, actually, he's never been on the mission field. And when he said that, Brother Ashley, on the inside, my teeth fell out. <laughs> on the outside, I just maintained perfect composure. Oh. <laughs> I could not believe it. You know, it's one thing when a man like Tom Ashley stands before you in a missions class and he tells you about when he's in a dire strait, he tells you about something that was real life that happened to him. There's something about that teaching. When you have a pastor or a pastor's wife or somebody who's in the ministry standing before you and they're the ones teaching you, listen, the last thing America needs is career academicians training preachers. Can I learn something from a career academician? I can. I'm not saying that I can't. But there's something about it. You know what the Bible pattern is? Let's go back to the Bible. Elijah's training Elisha's. 
Could you imagine Elijah saying, listen, I've never been a prophet before, but Elisha, I won't tell you how to do it. And so it's important for you to be taught by people who are experienced in the ministry. Every class being taught by a veteran in the ministry. Another very important thing, and this is perhaps one of the most misunderstood aspects of the school, and that's the emphasis on the local church. You know, I can talk to people. And, you know, we grown-ups, we can talk and disagree without screaming at each other. I know some of you right now are trying to learn that. But, you know, I can be somewhere and somebody says, you, you go to amba- you're an ambassador, they're not local church. And, you know, I could just scream and rant. But usually my response is like, well, have you ever been there? Have you ever talked to any area pastors? Where our, our kids go, have you ever taught? No, no, no. Well, you're just not local church. I say, you're speaking that out of ignorance because you don't know. Now, I know what they mean. They would say, well, your college is not out of one local church. And I, I know that's what they mean. And yet many of those churches will support missionaries who are with mission boards, and those mission boards aren't out of one local church. But I don't have to live with whether you're consistent or not, okay? But when it comes to local church, listen, whether it's ambassador or it's any other school, listen, you cannot train people for ministry without a proper understanding of the local church. I just got through speaking about that in freshman orientation, talking about the importance of the local church. Listen, young people, if you're going to lead in a local church, you've got to first learn to serve in a local church. You can't stand and lead if you're not willing to serve. And you know what really concerns me, Brother Hanky? What really concerns me is sometimes to watch somebody who hits their senior year and they're not serving much in their local church. And the sad thought is this. They may be excelling in the classroom, but they're robbing themselves in the local church experience. You know, what good is it to have a 4.0 and not lift a finger to serve your fellow man? For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And there may be some of you upperclassmen, you say, well, the reason my my pastor hasn't given me any place to serve, and it may be because your character is deficient and you still need to grow. Or it may just mean that you just need to look for opportunity and do it yourself. There's a a word, It's, it's going to be a new word, I'm going to introduce it to you today. All right, here it is. Initiative. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty neat word. You show me a man that's got initiative and there's about a thousand pastors that'd be like, come this way. Not a babysitter, but showing initiative. But the local church, one of the things I love, you know what I love, that our students, I think, was it Brother Lucan, was it uh, 25 churches? 25 churches our students are involved in. You know what that means? That means there's a high probability that the vast majority, if not all of you, are going to be able to spend time with with your pastor and your pastor's wife. I love that. I don't want you to be in an environment where the pastor is just, you just see him on a platform and that's it. I want somebody that you can work with that can take you to the side and help you along. Chuck Surrett was my pastor for four and a half years at Emmanuel Baptist during the time of my undergrad. And I'm going to tell you what, I grew greatly. Not only by his preaching, but by spending time with him. He was more than just a face, but it was somebody that I could touch, somebody that I could reach out to. 
You have a personal contact with your pastor. Listen, everybody gets to participate and you know, there's a variety of ministries. Now, you're hearing this from a bus kid. I was saved off a bus route, all right? If anybody wants to badmouth the bus ministry, I'm ready to just punch them right in the nose. I want to say, that's, that was my lifeline. But can I tell you, here at the college, not everybody's just crammed into one ministry. You have the opportunity to serve. You get in that church, and more than likely, there's going to be several areas to fill, and you have a choice, whereas in, in some places you may not. And you know, the sizes of the churches vary. All of you are in, the, in a church size where you're probably going to minister in the future. And so right now you can take notes and you can see the struggles. Some of you right now are serving under a pastor. He's also the janitor. He's also the song leader. By the way, if you're a guy in this church or in this college and your pastor is leading the music, listen, if you can work a pump handle, could you please help him out? You're like, I can't lead like Brother Reem. He gets up there and he has a listen, he had to start somewhere. You think he just came out of the womb, a choir director? <laughs> I might be surprised if I ask, you know, but <laughs> listen, guys, you know, for some of you, you know what that pastor's looking for? You're like, I don't even know what four four time is, but you know what? You can do this. And you can smile and you can sing words that mean something to you, and everybody's happy. We miss the opportunity. I mean, I'm talking about getting your hands dirty in church ministry. Some of you ladies are like, I, I, I'm not working in the nursery. I hate that. All right, do me a favor. Don't have children either. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and call it even, right? Learn about it. You're like, I've never been exposed to that. Well, that's all right. Hey, for some of you fellows, just being an usher. I was talking to a guy one day. He said, this is back in my dean of students' office days. He said, well, I'm thinking about leaving the church. I said, why? He said, well, I'm just an usher. And man, I looked at him, and I know this shocked the daylights out of him. And I said, you want to know what your problem is? He said, yeah. I said, you're just an usher. I said, as long as you have that attitude, I wouldn't let you usher my doghouse. You know what that boy did? He walked out and he determined, you know what? I think I'm going to be a good usher. I think instead of just having the pastor have to beg me and say my name five times to get me in the aisle to take the offering, I'm going to take some initiative. When people walk through a door, I'm going to greet them. And you know what? Within a year, he was working with the youth group. Can I tell you, there's no job too small or unimportant in the local church. And I expect every member of this student body to be an exemplary church member. You're there every time the doors are open and you can make it. You're willing to serve, that you give. No, I don't talk to the church treasurers and monitor. I don't do that. I don't do that for our faculty and staff. That's none of my business, but I do expect you to give. You can't be a good Christian if you don't give. You say, oh, that's a bold statement. That's for another message. 
I want you to be a part of the local church. Be involved in the soul winning. Be involved in the ministry. You know, at the college here, we require our students to go on two hours of soul winning every week. Do you know why we do that? Okay, let me say it sarcastically. We do that because there's a gold standard in heaven that if you go two hours every week, you achieve sainthood and a special place in heaven. You know, I've heard students gripe, and they're like, yeah, this legalistic place... Uh, you know, they say two hours, you know, like two hours is the magic number. And, you know, dorm students get to pontificating, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, that's just legalistic. You know why we say two hours? I'm going to tell you why we say two hours. It's just to give you something to shoot at because if we didn't, some of you do it in five minutes. Just being honest. I mean, the truth is, if you go out this Saturday and you finish up in an hour and a half because you finished all of the, the area that you've been... I don't think anybody's going to come. As a, but you know what? If you're just constantly just doing the minimum... Some of you have a habit of just doing the minimum. And I'm going to tell you, that doesn't work in church. It doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in a lot of areas of life when you just do the minimum. But that's why we give it. We expect you to go out soul winning. And it's been a delight to see some of you freshmen grow. You're like, I've never done this before. (laughs) Well, I'll assure you one thing. You'll have some stories to tell before school year's over with. But it's good for you. Because every one of us, listen, we've got the good news. And you know why some churches are dying? Some churches are dying because there's no soul winning. There's no evangelism. And it's important. Another thing that's important is a family atmosphere. We're a smaller school. Nobody's lost in the crowd. You know, it, it is. can I tell you something? It is possible for somebody to be lost in the crowd here at Ambassador, and I've witnessed it this year. You know, sometimes we talk about these values, but it's important to check ourselves and make sure that we're actually doing them. That's one of the dangers about a message like this. We can check the list, and sometimes we get to where we're not even doing them. You know, when you see somebody that's a straggler for whatever reason, make it your opportunity to reach out to them. You know, I'll tell you, there's just a, there, a lot of us in this room, we're just weird and we have our quirks. Did you know that? Did you hear me say us? I realize you hit it off with some and you don't hit it off with others. And and I understand that. But I'm going to tell you, ministry is about people. And one of the reasons we want you here on campus rather than on the other side of a computer screen for your undergrad program is because you need to learn how to deal with people. You know, today there are a lot of people that are getting an education very conveniently online. But I'll tell you one thing they don't have and that's a family. It's just a fact. And when you're not around people, listen to me, when you're taking school online and you're not learning how to deal with roommates that you just have a hard time with, or you have such time constraints because of the demand of a college schedule on campus, you know what? God's growing you through that. And I'm afraid there are many people, they're taking the convenient way, but very, very rarely is the convenient way the best way. And before somebody gives me a lecture and says, well, do you think it's the hard way is the best way? I don't know if the hard way is the best way, but I know several times God led Israel through wilderness when He could have led them through pasture. And so I'm going to be slow to criticize God and say, well, you just took them the hard way and that wasn't good. 
but there's demands that are put upon you. But here you have a family. You can build relationships with people. Listen, some of the closest relationships I have with people today are people that I went to school with. Every day I get texts from people that I went to school with. Every day. Those, life, those relationships have lasted. But we were raised in a family atmosphere. People knew each other by name. Brother Comfort used to say these statements such as this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care whether you went to public school, you went to home school, Christian school or no school. When it's all said and done, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. I don't care if you were raised in a non-Christian home or you were raised in a Christian home. Listen to me, this ought to be a place where you grow and thrive. Brother Comfort also used to say this, He'd say, here there's no superiors or inferiors, only equals. I think you ought to treat your professors with respect. I think you ought to address them by their title and their last name. And that's something that's just a common courtesy. But when it's all said and done, let me tell you something. I put my coat on just like you do, one arm at a time. And sometimes we get into this idea of man worship. I'm not very interested in that. Respect is one thing, but when it's said and done, I want you to be in a place where, where you're able to mix and mingle with faculty members and you understand that like Elijah, they're, they're people of like passion as you are. No superiors, no inferiors. I don't look at you as peons. No, I'll tell you what, it's very important. It's it's important for you to be here. And listen, God has led you to this place and He's led us to minister to you. You know, it's a place where I want our faculty and our staff to intermingle. You know, some of the best conversations I've ever had with students as far as deep and spiritual, it wasn't in a classroom. You know where it was at? It was at a game. I'm sitting there in wind pants and a t-shirt. And he's sitting there, he's all decked out for a game. And I'm like, "What's man, why you been moping lately? You know, and about an hour later you come out and you know what? But you've made some progress. It's, it's important. That's why we want the faculty members to eat lunch with you. That's why we don't have like a faculty dining room because we want them to have that intermingling with you, that family atmosphere. You know, another thing that Brother Comfort said that I want to emphasize to you this morning, and I want to illustrate it for you, is he said this. He said, the student is more important than the rule. Now, I know on the surface, some people are like, mmm. Let me give you an example. When I'm an RA, a kid comes into my dorm, and he comes in late. He comes in at 1015. And he comes right in, and I look at him, and I said, you're late, you get demerits. And he raises his voice, and he says, but, and I said, but nothing, you be quiet. And then the next day, I find out that he was in a car accident and totaled his car, and that's why he was late. Throw the rule away. You understand what I'm saying? Are the rules important? They are, but also sometimes why they're broken are important. 
And there's some people in this room, you may be very rigid. Now, there's others of you that are very loose. But I'm telling you, for some of you that are so rigid that you live by rule and you don't... If you know the rule book better than you know the people that you minister to, you're probably going to make a mistake. You understand that distinction? When you're serving in a youth group or whatever and you've got your rules that are given out and rules are good, they're to be obeyed, I'm not here bashing rules. But I'm telling you, if you know the rule book better than you know the people that you minister to, you're going to hurt somebody eventually. Because sometimes something's going to have a bad appearance and it may be to the letter of the law a violation. And there's, that ought to be a difference between ambassador. We're not herding cattle here at ambassador. All right? Just put you all through the same chute. It doesn't, don't, we don't care, just, just go. No, let me tell you, when somebody, when they do something and they're broken, you handle them where they're at. You to deal with somebody and they're repentant, you take them and you try to work with it. You try to restore that person. Is the institution important? Yes, but the students are important and you've got to have that balance. Now, for those of you that are very loose and you go out of here and you misquote me, he said the student's more important than the rules, so I'm going to break the dating rules and I'm going to do this and that. Go ahead and do that and we'll expel you, okay? Because you're saying something that I didn't, all right? But the student is more important than the rule. In a family atmosphere, there's times you've got to just get down with somebody and understand where they're at. There's some of you sitting in this room that if you'd been somewhere else, maybe you wouldn't be here by now. I don't know. But I want it to be a place where where the student's more important than the rule. I've got to hurry. Let me skip. Let Let me just lightly touch one. It's not because... It's not important, but I've got to devote time to two specific things. Another distinctive of the school is preaching. All right, I try to reiterate this during the year. This is the most important part of the day is what happens in the chapel service, the preaching of God's Word. You show me a person who studies in chapel, and I'll show you somebody who sets me on fire. And the reason why, it's not that your studies aren't important, it's just the preaching of God's Word is more important. And it's very important for you. You come to chapel. You expect a blessing. We want to bring men in here that will preach the Word of God and opening revivals and missions conference and Bible conference. Take notes. There are some of you that fight sleep during chapel. Some of you have already been doing it today. I could call you by name. I can handle somebody who fights sleep. I just don't want somebody who makes their bed. Why? Because this is important. How would you like it if you came to my office, I wanted to talk to you, and while you're talking, all of a sudden I just went like this. Everybody go home, call their mom, and say, he's so rude. But I wonder how God feels sometimes when we just sort of sleep through a message. Preaching's very important. The music's very important. Conservative music. I think, Brother Reem, I've seen greater changes in the last 10 years in music than any other area of ministry in independent Baptist churches. Some of you are like, yeah, that's because you believe if it, was, if it wasn't written, uh, if, it, if it was written before 1900, that's the only good music alive. No, it's not. But I'll tell you, I'm absolutely stunned at the number of preachers today that in practice would say that music's amoral, 
Although they would never say it, they practice it that way. And I'm going to tell you, there's a growing group of younger preachers, younger than me, that would just pretty much tell you, listen, it, you know what? Music is amoral. And when I'm talking about music is amoral, I'm saying that a style of music, it doesn't matter what style it is. Now, it's funny because many of those men, they, when, it came to, when it comes to any other art form, they would assign a morality to it. In other words, when you're taking pictures, you have good pictures and bad pictures. But they would say it's all art. You know what? There is such thing as good music and bad music. And again, it's time for another message. But you know what? There is a music that conveys the idea of the world. And I think there are many people today that are in Christian leadership that have naively swallowed the bait. But here at the college, listen to me, we're not going to have music where you have the words of Zion mixed with the tunes of Babel. Now, I'll admit, our music standard here at the school is probably higher than the vast majority of you that are here. You could ask Dr. Scoville, when I came to Ambassador, I thought this was opera music. (laughs) Now people listen to me sing and they're like, oh, what happened to you, you know? They said, why don't you sing like you talk? And I said, because when you sing like I sing, it doesn't hurt. When you, I, you know, I sing properly. I mean, that's the way I was taught. It's the way it works for me. And it's great. And I realize that not everybody's music standards are identical in here. And, and I realize that in so many of our standards here at the college, we're up here. But like I've told you in freshman orientation, if our standard is here and you drop down here, I'm not worried about that. But if our standard's down here and you go below it, you're in the muck. But I'll tell you, one of the best things happened to me is I started being exposed to songs that I had never heard before. I'd be like, man, that's pretty good. You know, I was like, wow. But, you know, God grew me in that area, and I have a great appreciation for the way I was raised, and I have a great appreciation for what I've gained here. And I want you to experience the same thing. I want us to send a very clear signal. But there's two things that I want to mention in closing very quickly that are distinctives of the school, and it's very important. One is no accreditation. Now, this isn't going to mean a ton to you, but maybe it will. Do you know that years ago, the majority of Christian colleges took the same position that I'm sharing with you today? And I could could mention them by name. Schools that would tell you, listen, the college is not going to seek government approval in accreditation. You know, sometimes a Bible college degree is knocked because it's not accredited. And let's just be honest, they're really saying, whether they realize it or not, they're just saying that a Bible college degree is not good because it doesn't have the government's check mark, is what they're saying. Listen, I have a very firm conviction that this school should never be accredited, and I'm going to tell you why. Because those accrediting agencies are subjected to educational directives by the U.S. government. And do you know that right now the Biden administration is trying to implement standards that would eventually have to be uh, transmitted through those accrediting agencies that would require Bible colleges to hire and to enroll transgender and LGBTQ students. 
I'm not giving you a hypothetical. I'm giving you the real thing. And you know, when those, when those colleges lose their accreditation, you know what else they lose? Money. The vast majority of them. I will admit there's at least one or two that do not allow their students to take any government funding whatsoever. But when they lose their accreditation and they lose their status in the academic world, they're still going to become basically non-existent. I would much rather you go in the ministry and depend on God than the U.S. government. Because I'm going to tell you something. No presidential administration is going to pay for your building program. No government administration is going to get you to the mission field. And right now, while you're in school, listen, I don't want the school having strings placed on it by the government, and I don't want you to view the government as a milk cow. And here's an interesting thing that I'll tell you about accreditation. When it comes especially for schools that are started out of local churches, I'll tell you, no, I don't know of any local church that's an independent Baptist church that would submit any other ministry of their local church to an accrediting body that's filled with charismatics and Lutherans and everything else. Or lost people for that matter. Yeah, our nursery is certified by the Lutheran church. You know, but yet when you take a listen, when you take ministry and you throw it in a melting pot like with a place called tracks, listen, you've got charismatics, you've got people that hold all types of doctrinal positions, and they're part of that supervising body that that helps you know hold you accountable. I think the best thing a school can do is be accountable to local churches and God and leave it at that. Maybe one day I can give you a better, uh, a better picture of accreditation because I, there's some scriptural things that also... Want, but I just don't have the time to do it. One last thing that I'll mention to you. Brother Comfort used to mention this. He said, no intercollegiate sports. And people are like, why don't you have an intercollegiate sports program? Well, have you ever been to a league game? But you know, it goes beyond that. People are like, why don't you have intercollegiate sports? Can I read to you something? I'm just going to read to you an article. And it's published by the institution that may contradict the practice today. But I'm just going to read it to you you know, in their own words. In 1928, a year after opening its doors to students, Bob Jones College decided to implement intercollegiate sports as a way to share the gospel and give students an athletic outlet. The college was located in the swampy area of College Point, Florida, which was was an inspiration for the team's name, the Swamp Angels. I could have gotten into that. The various sports teams, football, basketball, baseball, track, and tennis for the men and basketball for the women were very successful. In 1931, the men's basketball team went undefeated and the football team lost only one game in four years. 
The swamp angels did not just stop with just did not stop with just academic excellence, though. The various high schools and colleges the swamp angels played knew of their high Christian standards, and the swampers presented a clear testimony as expressed by a quote recorded in Evangelist Monroe Parker's memoir. Uh, Parker's memoir also included a a quote from an opposing team member who said, The swamp angels were the best men I ever saw. They would knock us down and then help us up and say, God bless you, buddy. And we would take take God's name in vain and they would say, We will pray for you, friend. The popularity of the swamp angels began to have a negative effect or impact on the school, however. Students were beginning to attend the college with specific intention to participate on the exceptional sports teams rather than attend for the academic and spiritual training. In addition to this issue, because the college had played so many secular universities, many students would come to the Christian campus to cheer the opposing team and brought undesirable elements to the school, such as betting and leaving the campus littered with beer and whiskey bottles. Collectively, these uh, problems prompted the end of the Swamp Angels and the intercollegiate sports in 1933. I know that was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, this was a quote directly from a periodical that was published by the school. Intercollegiate sports, you know, why are we guarded about that? Because I never want that to be the main thing. I never want that to be a distraction for you. It's not that sports are not spiritual. Uh, You can learn spiritual lessons from sports, and you can also do unspiritual things in sports too. It's really a revealer of your character. But we don't want to have something that's going to distract you, and then that's why people come here. So you know what? We'll still have league games, and we'll still win and lose together. But I want people to be here because they want to serve the Lord, not because they want to play basketball. And so, guys, these are some things that are very important. I want you to look this way and listen to me, and then Brother Reem's going to come and lead us in a verse of how firm a foundation. Here, listen very carefully. Why is this message important to me? I'm going to tell you why it's important to me, because there are grave markers at Pillsbury, Baptist Bible College. There's a grave marker at Northland. Baptist Bible College. There's a grave marker at Tennessee Temple University. There's a grave marker at Clearwater Christian College. And the reason there are grave markers at their schools, those schools and the reason that one day there may be a grave marker here is because we forsake our foundations. It's that important. And so I say let us live and learn from history. And let us take these things into the future till Jesus comes. And that God would help us to see many ambassadors for Christ raised up until the Lord returns.